Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? There we go. I like it. That was awesome. <laughs> All right, let's start. Uh, since you had, you had two weeks, you had two weeks for the memory passage review. So Philippians 1, 20 through 24, any of those verses? Got some pretty easy ones in there, like some really easy ones in there, to the point where I loaded up at Lifeway uh, a couple days ago because I was expecting this. So. Really? There we go. Yeah, we're standing up. Come on now. That's right. All right. Miss Carrie? 121. Okay, great. And it is? For to me, to live is Christ. That's right. Excellent. Very good. Very good. Very good. Sean, you're up next. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Absolutely. Awesome. Good job. Two verses in. Miss Amy? Nobody, no sitting down. No sitting down. You don't get comfortable for a while, right? That's awesome. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yes. For if I live on in the flesh, this will mean great for my labor. Yes. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot say. Right. For I am hard-pressed between the two. For having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Yeah. Nevertheless, to, live on, to remain in the flesh... Is better for you or more helpful for you? More needful. More needful. Yep, that'll work. That'll work. Helpful is good. That'd be a loose synonym. That works. Loose synonym. Very good. Very good. Yes. 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 Very good. Excellent. Thank you much. Miss Darla. You started with 21 also? I was wondering how many people would start with 20. And I, I you know, Sean was the only one. So, but he didn't go all the way, so there's that. And I, and I. <laughs> Feel that. Oh. Feel that. That was awesome, man. You did a good job. We had all the comments. <laughs> we did. We we're just like, oh, okay, we're just going to kick back and. Yeah. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yes. If I'm to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yes. But I am torn between the two. Yet, excuse me, yet what shall I do? I do not know. Okay. I am torn between the two. For I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Yes. But if I remain in the... 
think it is necessary for me to remain in the body for you. It's necessary for you to remain in the body. Yes, that'll work. Thanks. Good deal. All right. That, uh, that far better part always reminds me of the Tale of Two Cities, that very end of the book where he's like, it's a far, far better place that I go and a better thing that I do than I've ever done before. So I always get distracted and throw in some other literary works when I try to recite that verse. So anyway, so let's, uh, let's look at your handout, that uh, list of items there on the front. Uh, so we are at number 10 today, which is fantastic. Some of you are going... We are almost done with Grudem, and we're not really almost done with Grudem. We have two more doctrines to look at, but we'll, we'll start uh, the Doctrine of the Church in late June, uh, and then the Doctrine of the Future sometime in the future after that. So that's my joke. I'm sticking with it. And uh, so a quick review to get us up to glorification today. So common grace, that's what God uh, extended, uh, the blessings that are not part of salvation so that we could come to know Him. Election is this choosing uh, either the saved or the passing over of the lost, the, the calling, uh, this idea of um, the Holy Spirit drawing us to Himself as well as the gospel going out uh, and drawing people and men to it. Uh, the regeneration, this is being born again. Conversion is turning from sin in repentance uh, to faith in Christ. Justification is God's declaration of our uh, legal standing of righteousness and our obtaining of Christ's righteousness. Uh, adoption is membership in God's family. Sanctification is becoming more like Jesus Christ. Uh, then we get perseverance, that the thing that enables us to continue to actually complete this process. And then two weeks ago we looked at death, which got us ready for Easter. Last week was Easter, so Jesus gets up from the grave leading, he's the first fruits in this space, so that we then have hope that we will be resurrected as well. And then today is glorification. Now we've got actually one more week in this, uh, in this part of application of redemption. And it's union with Christ, and we'll look at that next week. Which is kind of a, so where was Jesus in all of this put together? And what is our specific relationship with him through all of this? So it's kind of a going back and filling in some cracks with some things that Grudem left out. But we'll start with Romans uh, 8. If you've got your Bibles, let's open up to Romans 8. Look at verses 18 through 25. So who's got Romans 8, 18 through 25? So this kind of lays the groundwork for some of the uh, resurrection talk that we'll be looking at. Justin, you got it? Awesome. 18 through 25. Yep. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be received, revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even when we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were The redemption of our what? Body. The redemption of our body. Now sometimes we think, and, and I, it's a bit of a theological problem I believe, that that Heaven is going to be a place where our souls or our spirits live with God, and it, it will. But the redemption of our body is a piece of this, and it is, it, 
the, the process of salvation is not over until God has redeemed it all, which is really awesome because he doesn't start something and just go halfway. So keep going. For we were saved in this hope, but those that it, excuse me, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We, how do we wait for it? Perseverance. Eagerly. We eagerly wait for it. What have you eagerly waited for in your life? Christmas, right? Yeah? Because it's Christmas. Because there's something that is amazing that's going to happen when we open a present and we go, wow, somebody cared about me enough to get me something that was really amazing. What else do we eagerly await for? Margie to walk down the aisle, right? That was for you, yes. Uh, um, <laughs> and I, I started to get really excited, and I'm looking at my wife, and I'm going, I, no, that's for you to get really excited about. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, and that, that wedding day, that union of two people into one is something to look forward to, right? Because there is a gift there. There is something new there. Uh, and we get to look forward to not just... Yeah, we're going to be made new. Okay. This is not the place for Eeyore Christianity, right? I mean, this is, this is the place for the grave lost. Death comes in second. Life wins. Jesus wins. Love wins in this space. It is beautiful. So let's flip up a couple of verses to Romans 8, 30. You got, you got that, Justin? Verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also what, called. What tense is predestined in? Past. Past, great. These he also called. What tense is called in? Uh, past. I was like, you can phone a friend since we have an English <laughs> expert over here. So, Keep going. Whom he called, these he also justified. What past. tense? Past, great. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Uh, no. Yeah, I guess it was past. Yeah. So soak on that one for a second. Soak on that one for a second. Glorified here is in the past tense. Let me give you a definition for glorification. Here's your first blank. Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies, here's your blank, bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like His own. Look at verse 30 again. What tense is that? So the question is, why is it in past tense? Because does it feel like you have been glorified at this point? Who says, I do not feel glorified? <laughs> right? Who says... I don't know how to reconcile this. This does not make sense to me logically, right? Yes, thank you for your honesty. Uh, we will look at this as we go through, but I want, you to, I want to leave that question hanging open as we go through today's text, all right? So I don't do this very often, just tease you with the question and not give you an answer, but I'm going to tease you with the question and not give you an answer for a second. So if you will look at the letters on your outline, so there's the, the explanation and spiritual basis section, and then point B... And then flip over on the back of your outline. And then comes point what? A. A. And then point C. C. And then 
E and then D. All right, so Grudem did not write his book that way, just, just so you're aware. I just don't think he did a very good job organizing this lesson. So after 42 chapters, I'm going to take a little liberty and re rearrange his lesson for him. So I'm just going to go with that. So we're going to start with point B. Uh, for me, because it's chronologically the first thing that happens in Scripture. So the Old Testament support for glorification. So we're going to do a couple different things. I'm going to give you the, the B point, and then I'm going to give you the A point, and then we'll come back and look at the verses in B. And then flip over to the back of your handout. And then New Testament evidence for glorification. So the Old Testament, the Old Testament kind of plays T-ball with this concept. So it tees it up so that when the New Testament evidence comes, these clear ironclad statements that are just, well, you, you can't misunderstand this. This is going to happen. That there's already a framework for this to happen in. The people of the New Testament are prepared. Their hearts are ready. They have been informed and they are looking forward to the details of this. It is Christmas morning in the New Testament and we're opening this package. But the Old Testament is this anticipation of something better is coming. So I want to start with the Old Testament and kind of build that up and then we'll walk through some of the details of the New Testament. So back on the front side of your handout. Uh, the Old Testament support for glorification. So let's look at uh, John eleven twenty three and 24. And you're going, Jim, you just said we're in the Old Testament. Yeah, we sort of are, kind of not really. All right, so these are still technically Old Covenant people because the New Covenant hasn't happened yet. So this, is, this, is, this theology that you're going to hear in these two verses are reflective of someone who does not know the resurrection of Jesus Christ yet. And that's what changes everything, and this new covenant comes into place at that spot. So what's got, who's got uh, John 11, 23, and 24? Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Yeah, so, so Martha was aware of the resurrection before Paul writes a bunch of letters about it. Okay, so there's something going on there that she was aware of. All right, so where did she get this idea? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. It's scattered all throughout the Old Testament. So let's take a quick tour through the Old Testament. So Job 19, 25 through 26. Some of you probably have this memorized and don't know that you have this memorized. You got it? I can't believe you're not going to read verse 25. Well, it's verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Yes. How could, you miss How could I miss that, right? Yeah, because I'm setting up those statements in a little bit. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Chronologically. Okay, Dr. Grudem, I appreciate your input there. We'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> Grudem just can't help himself. He goes straight to Jesus immediately, and it's beautiful. I love it. But it's not always like linear, and I'm too much of a math guy to let that go. So, All right, so Job 19, 25, and 26. Who's got it? Yes. I know that my Redeemer Who's speaking here? Is it? Good. <laughs> There's one of four or five guys that it could be, right? So if we're not in the verse, we're not in chapter 38, 39, so it's not God yet, right? So, okay, keep going. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. So in my flesh I will see God. So I have been destroyed, but in my flesh I will see God. What does that sound like? It's like my bodily resurrection is what it sounds like, right? So that you got this little, this little idea of, oh, okay, all right, we got this idea. And then Psalm 49, 15. 
You got it, Chris? Uh, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. He will receive me. He will receive me. Isaiah 26, 19. There's these little... It's not, it's not what I would call really strong evidence, but boy, they are teeing this up for some more detail. There's more coming. Isaiah 26, 19. Dave, you got it? Your dead shall live together with my body. Your what shall live? Your dead shall live. Your dead shall live. And this is odd because dead people we don't think about being alive, but... Together with my dead body, they shall rise, awake and sing, and who will dwell in the dust. So, so not just live, but they will rise, right? Because it, it makes sense, anybody that's ever been to a funeral, we put somebody where? In the ground. So in order to stand before your Redeemer one day, in order to have your flesh present with God... It's got to get out of the ground and go somewhere else. This is kind of the only creepy way that this works, right? So Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Ah, so, so here we even get a little more granular on, so everybody's getting up, but not everybody's going to the same location, right? So there's... There's some, there's some hints of this all throughout the Old Testament. This is not all of them. This is just some of the, the hints. So then we, now we turn over the backside of your hand out. So now we're going to look at the New Testament evidence for glorification. <clears throat> so the, the, the big, long passage in the New Testament that talks about glorification is 1 Corinthians 5. Or, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and it's verses 12 through... 58, and, and Paul kind of takes a detour in 29 through 34, so I'm going to omit those, but I want to read this to you this morning. So 1 Corinthians 15, 12. It says, Now as Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he, he starts off by very typical Pauline process. This is true. How do you not believe this is true? Right? And then he's going to go into his legal scholarly defense. So, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. So how many of us want to have an empty faith? We don't have an empty faith, right? So this, he's tying this back to something that we want. Verse 15, Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And we know who is risen. We know Christ is risen. So he is tying the fact that Christ is risen, therefore the dead will rise. Verse 17, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now, so he's, he's transitioning out of his I'm arguing against the, the, the truth, and I'm going to argue and show you the support of it. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And we've looked at this word firstfruits before. And the firstfruits implies that the first piece of fruit that comes off of a tree, what's the next piece of fruit going to look like? The, the same thing. And the third piece of fruit? The same thing. And the fourth piece of fruit? The same thing. He's the firstfruits. He's the first thing off of this tree. 
So the first thing off of this tree is going to set the standard and everything else is going to look like that. So he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Or remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, the fallen asleep is many times a euphemism for what in the New Testament? For death in the New Testament, right. For since by man came death, you see the man, that first man, that lowercase man? Who's that? That's Adam. By man, capital M, who's that? That's Jesus. Also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, if you weren't sure it was Adam, he, he clarifies that for us, right? So all of us Gentiles who didn't know the Old Testament, he throws this bone there. So for us in Adam all die, so even in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one is his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Verse 24, Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is, it is evident that he who put all things under him is, is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, when the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So we're going to skip down to verse 35. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? So this is a great question, right? So there's dust in the ground. And God is going to do something to turn that dust into people. So the logical question is, how does that work? Right? So some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases. So how does it work? God wants it to work. Which to me kind of feels like Paul going, we're not going to understand this, so we're going to leave it in the realm of God just does it. We kind of ought to be okay with not understanding every aspect of all things in the universe. All right. And to each seed its own body. Verse 39, this is important. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is one. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, and was made of dust. So also are those who are made of dust, as is the heavenly man. So also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. So I look like Adam now. I've borne the image of the man of dust. But verse 49 says, who am I going to look like one day? <laughs> Upgrade. <laughs> That's awesome, right? This is so incredibly hopeful. 
oh my goodness, if you ever get discouraged, just go read 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to get better, and not by a little bit. Everything radically shifts, it's all better. Verse 50, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a what? A mystery. So he tells us again. You might not understand this, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Then... Not now, then. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, take a nap. Relax. It doesn't matter, because God will work it all out in the end. Is that what it says? No. Therefore, we are going to win. We are going to look like Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? There's a lot of theology in that passage. A whole lot. So let's, let's break down a couple of the words here and there. So let's look at a, a first one here. That verse uh, 20, that word first fruits. So we're going to be like Jesus. Right? Verse 38, as he pleases, God's going to do it the way that he wants to do it. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Our, our new flesh is not going to be exactly, I say this with a high-pitched voice, exactly like ours is now. You see all those comparisons that he gave throughout that chapter? There's something different. It's not, it's not like a completely different object, but it's a different type of some sort. Right? So we'll walk through that a little bit. And then verse 51, it's a mystery. So let's not, let's not expect to understand everything right now. So we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 15 in just a second, so keep your finger there. But I want to flip over to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. All right, so who's got it? Starley, got it? Awesome. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like and the, the fall asleep are the dead. The dead, okay? Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. So, in him. so time out. So the those who have fallen asleep are where? In the ground. In the ground. But what is Jesus doing? He's no, 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 no. He's Bringing them. Bringing them. Jesus is where? Jesus is not in the ground. He is bringing them. Their bodies are in the ground. Their souls are with God. And Jesus is going to play the greatest game of reconnection ever, right? He's, he's, so keep going. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in right. Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Boom. Therefore, awesome. encourage each other with these words. Yes, there's all, after every single one of these resurrection passages, there is always some type of a, so go do something with this. <laughs> right? The Thessalonians had to be told, because they thought, the, they thought the return of Jesus Christ was so imminent, they had to be told, go to work tomorrow. Stop sitting on hillsides, staring up into the clouds, waiting on Jesus to come back. Go to work. This is important. Now, that's some serious faith in the second coming of Christ, right? I'm just not going to go to work today. I'm going to go sit on a hill and stare at the clouds because I think Jesus is coming back today. Well, that's awesome. That, that sound, doesn't that sound really spiritual? It sounds like, man, that's really spiritual. Except the problem is, get to work, right? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There is work to be done. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll try to answer this. Uh, what will our resurrection bodies uh, be like? So now your translations are going to show a little bit different words here and there, depending on which version you have. The words that I'm going to talk about are out of the New King James. So 1 Corinthians 15, 42. The word I want to look at first is incorruption. So incorrupt. So something that does not corrupt. How long does something that does not corrupt last? So it lasts forever. So there's a plus, right? Here's what Grudem says about this. They're, they will not wear out, talking about these bodies, they will not wear out or grow old or ever be subject to any kind of sickness or disease. They will be completely healthy and strong forever. No sign of aging, no evidence of disease or injury. Do, do, do you understand now why the Bible says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus? <laughs> like, yes. Bring it on, right? I mean, no sign of aging. Come on! <laughs> this is just, whew, it's amazing. Verse 43, in glory. This word means with dignity or glorious, honorable, praiseworthy. This is something that is worth valuing. Um, Grudem actually argues there's several verses here from Matthew 13, 43 to 1 Corinthians 15, 49 in your notes there. There's several verses that Grudem argues and says that this actually could imply that our bodies are shiny. Uh, you may have heard this preachers talk about this before, but that there's some amount of glowing because of the brightness. There's several verses that talk about the dead kind of glow. If you think about the Mount of Transfiguration, when uh, Jesus was present with who? Moses and Elijah, right? And who was glowing? All three of them were glowing. It's like, is that normal? Be kind of cool if that was normal. <laughs> we're just glowing all the time. Okay, maybe. We're going to be like him, right? Okay, kind of fun to glow. <laughs> what did Moses' face look like when he came down off the mountain after getting the Ten Commandments? He was glowing, which is still kind of freaky, but... Like, just, just his face was glowing, which I... Uh, feels like there's a sci-fi movie in there somewhere, but it's not. So 1 Corinthians 15, 43 again, in power. This is miraculous power. This is... Uh, uh, Matt Ayers, you want to guess what Greek word this is? Dunamis. Dunamis, yes. 
This is that ability or strength. This is extremely strong. So we're going to have bodies that don't wear out that are worth valuing and are extremely strong. Sign me up, right? This is awesome. Uh, verse 44, a spiritual body. And whenever the New Testament talks about spiritual, it always, always, always is referring to spirit-filled. It is not a... Um, we have a way of describing spiritual people sometimes as, oh, they just walk different and everything is kind of smooth in their life. And that is not what spiritual means. Spiritual means spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit is in us and actively working and is evident through our lives. So maybe this is spirit-filled to the degree that we were originally designed to be, right? Because we are not spirit-filled right now to the degree to which we were designed to be. And then uh, let's look over at uh, 1 John 3, 2. I have mentioned this a couple times, but we didn't actually look at the text. So I want to make sure you see the text for this as well. This is important. 1 John 3, 2. So who is the person in the New Testament that gets revealed? This is Jesus, right? Cam Newton's got nothing on pulling his shirt off and pretending like he's Superman. The whole book of Revelation is Jesus being revealed for who he is. In Matthew, he comes wrapped in skin, and the divinity is kind of, I don't want to say masked, but it is, it is hidden in flesh. In Revelation, <laughs> all bets are off. We are going to see full revealing of who Jesus Christ is. And, and in that verse, it doesn't say, I understand exactly how all of this is going to work. It says, I'm not sure how all this is going to work, but I know I'm going to look like Jesus. And I'm okay with that because that's such a great answer that I think we're all right with that. So let's go back to Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. Justin, you got it? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He conformed. Does anybody have a different word? Conformed. Y'all ever heard this word explained before? It's a neat word. It's a word that's uh, used to describe uh, making coins. Uh, it's a stamp. My mom, when I was in college, she worked for a company called Standard Register. And a register is, in a, in a printing operation, the register is the, the, the smacking of the press up against the paper. And a standard register meant every time that, that press hit that paper, you got the exact same image. Because you don't want a printer that gives you 10 copies and you got 10 different versions. You, you want a printer that does the exact same thing every single time. It is stamped. It is, it is a, you're going to get the same thing. That word conformed is a printing type, forging type word that means you are going to be hit with something. We are not the press, we are the paper. The paper takes a beating in printing. However, the paper looks better because of the beating. The paper is now beautiful. The paper now looks like it is supposed to look. It is designed and it functions. It can be used in ways that it could not before. Think about those of you that have a physical copy of the scripture in front of you. 
how much less helpful would that physical copy of the scripture be if it were a bunch of blank pages? That's a journal, <laughs> right? I don't need a journal. I need a Bible. And so what God is saying here is that we are going to be, and I'll, I'll use Jim's redneck version, smacked <laughs> until we look like Jesus Christ. We're going to be struck. We're going to be hit. This almost, to me, feels a little bit like the potter's wheel back in the Old Testament where we're going to carve and we're going to chip and we're going to mold and we're going to form and we're going to... We're going to be looking like Jesus Christ. And the great thing is, the destination is completely worth the journey. Right? Because some of you have been hit so many times. And you're wondering, why will God not just leave me alone? Because he loves you too much to leave you alone. He's not going to let us look like ourselves. He's going to make us look like Jesus. And that's an act of love. So when we get smacked and hit and punched and conformed and forged into the image of Jesus Christ, it is good for us. Isn't that awesome? That is good news. That is glorification. So um, there's a couple of real tactical, practical questions I want to ask, though. Will we recognize each other in heaven? We've got these new bodies, so like how... Will I, will I know you, Amy? I think the Bible tips its hat a little bit here. Let's look at Luke 9. Luke 9. <laughs> so what, what story are we in right now? Say again? Transfiguration. Transfiguration, yes. So... Who did they transfigure to? So we got Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Elijah. Is it Elisha or Elijah? Elijah. Elijah. Great, thank you. I think I may have misspoke earlier. If I did, I apologize because I have never gotten it squared in my head, those two. Everybody has theological sticking points. That is one of them. I've got like 15, and that's one of them. I just never get them right. So what's that? Is it? Oh, that's extremely helpful. Thank you. It's alphabetical. Nice. Yes. I might get it now. That's so exciting. This is going to be my squirrel moment. I'm going to like think about this for the next 10 minutes. Where are we at? Transfiguration. All right, great, great. You thought I was joking. I'm really excited. So who did they transfigure in front of? Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. So timeline, chronological, we probably, anybody in the room ought to be able to get this one. So Old Testament, did Peter... New Testament physically see and know and be able to recognize Moses and Elijah. He had never seen them before that day. But he knew them. How did he know them? Did they introduce themselves? Yes. Somehow or another, this is in this mystery category, right? Somehow or another, I love your face that you're giving me right now, Shanda. He's like, how is that possible? I don't know. But he, he, he made the Stuart Heights name badges? Yeah, that's awesome. If, if Daryl ends up being right about those stupid name badges, I kid you not. We will hear about that for like half of eternity. We will hear about that. There, there's some, yeah, like half, I know, right? 
Yeah, let's, let's be honest, right? <laughs> There's something that God does that allows us to recognize people that we have never even met before, which is kind of cool, because otherwise it would be, hey, I'm Jim, and you're Bobby. <laughs> It's like, okay. Yes, sir. You're dying over here, aren't you? Two, two different things that you've got there, too, that you had comment on. One was a script that we read about. The, oh, there's about the 600 body. things that I've skipped that I hadn't commented on. But. <laughs> the natural body and the spiritual body, they are identical. You think? I think. Okay. And, and our biblical evidence for that is? Uh, well, a sermon I heard Jack Howell. That's my problem with it. Is it it's a sermon and not a Bible. It's a, there's a lot of extremely, extremely smart people that have spent tons of time in the Word that take what is in the text and make really seemingly plausible connections, but it's not in the text. So. Right. Another one I will give you this. Yep. Jesus says that, that he is light and him dwelleth no darkness yes. at all. And you said a while ago, you know, wonder about the bodies with they glow. Yes. Moses did, yes. Yep. Uh, and, and so Moses did, but that doesn't tell me that all of them will. So again, I... I think we have some, it tees us up a little bit, but it's not definitive that it's a universal theme for everyone. So I, this, is one that, this is one of my Bible teaching principles that I use, is that I'm, I'm not going to be closed-fisted when I think, I think it's right. I'm going to tell you, I think it's right. And you'll hear it in my voice when I'm kind of maybe leaning in the direction, but I don't know for sure. And it'd be, I would, I don't know, I would love it to be like we glow around, right? I'm not trying to sell it. I was just. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> His website? It, no, 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 no. It's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> I love that we can have a good time doing this. It's awesome. All right. So uh, Grudem asked a great question. Uh, what about people who've been dead for centuries? What about their bodies? How does God put all that back together? Well, He made it. <laughs> he made the puzzle. I'm guessing he's okay putting the pieces together however he wants to put the pieces together. It, this is not a difficult problem for him. Rearranging all the atoms in the universe is not hard for God. Okay. <laughs> he rearranges a few in very localized places to us, and we lose our minds. Right? It's like, that's a miracle. Yeah, in like six square inches. It's okay. He, he's going to do this with... Every believer in the history of the man. I love puzzles. Y'all know I love puzzles, right? I've got like five or six at the house right now that I hadn't started on. And I still am not done with that MC Escher puzzle. I just put that up because that was crazy. Those of you that saw that on Facebook, in 2018, we'll get done with that. That's awful. Um, but this is not a hard puzzle for God. So I'm going to quickly go through E and D. Uh, I moved E up before D because I didn't want to end on this. But E is the unbelieving dead will be raised for judgment on the final day of judgment. And a good verse for that is Acts 24, 15, which basically says the unbelieving dead will be raised for judgment. So we'll blow past that just a little bit. And then D, the entire creation will be renewed as well. This is not just... Um, technically, glorification is all about man and man's body, but it's, it's a lot broader than this. The whole creation uh, will be renewed as well. Genesis 3 talks about the curse that comes upon... Uh, the earth, thorns and thistles, and we have to work. And then Romans 8, 19 through 23, what Justin read to start us off, is creation is groaning to go back to a time before that curse. So 
The, and I don't think about the earth as a, like a living thing very often, but the earth wants redemption, which kind of messes with my head on, like, it's alive-ish, not really, sort of. But it, it, I hesitate to say it knows. Um, but the Bible says that it wants restoration. So it's going to get what it wants because Jesus is going to fix that too, which is fantastic. So scripture memory passage for next week is 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. The hymn is 10,000 times 10,000, and I'm about 10 minutes past where I should be, so I will not read the hymn today. Uh, but... I'm glad you came today. This was a lot of fun. I am really looking forward to a glorified body one day. I hope you are too. If you are not, then I did not teach this lesson right because it is going to be great. So lean in, uh, engage with each other, uh, check out that weekly update, pray as a group, and then uh, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today.